you please uh, turn with me in the Word of God to Job, Job chapter 38, will be our scripture reading this evening. Uh, We'll be reading not exactly the whole chapter, we'll be reading down through verse uh, 38, it will be our portion of God's Word tonight, Job chapter 38, uh, beginning at the verse 1 down to verse 38. So hear, hear now the word of the Lord. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted, For joy. Or who shut in the seas with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling of light? Where is the place of darkness? That you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home. You know, for you were born then and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there's no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Mazaroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? 
Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Ascends the reading of the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, eternal uh, in the heavens, infallible and and inerrant. Uh, We thank you, dear God, that you have spoken, and we thank you that we know that uh, all scripture is God-breathed and useful. And so we pray, Lord, that tonight uh, you would speak to us through this word, that we might know your voice, that we might bow before you, that by your Holy Spirit you would take what we have heard tonight, uh, Lord, that we would go forth to live what we believe. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, David Wells uh, was a well-known culture commentator and uh, theologian uh, from New England uh, who has written uh, many uh, books about um, the struggles, really, of the evangelical church over the last 30 years and struggles with uh, holding on to truth in a uh, postmodern age and so forth. And he wrote a book called God in the Whirlwind. And in that book, uh, this is what he wrote. God is elevated over all of life. God is God. We are but a part of his creation and dependent on him. He is its center. We are its periphery or the outside. He is infinite in our humanity. We are but fading and finite. Between creator and creation is a boundary. There's no place for pantheism in a biblical worldview, all spiritualities that begin within the self, building on the self as their religious source are false. The self cannot reach out in or up and find God in a redemptive way. All of these cultural spiritualities have assumed that the boundary set between creator and creature, between the holy God and sinners can be crossed from our side and crossed naturally and easily. It cannot. Only God The infinite creator and the one who's utterly holy can cross these boundaries. They are crossed only from above, and they can be crossed only by God himself. He rules, we are ruled. He acts, we are acted upon. He gives life, we receive it. We are sustained in his providence. We are not self-sustaining in our existence. We live in his world. He is not, therefore, an intruder in our world. In short, he is above, and we are below. In our study uh, of the book of Job, especially uh, in these uh, last number of chapters and before Elihu has come uh, and spoken to Job, we couldn't help but uh, get the feeling as uh, Job spoke more and more in response to his three friends, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, he was getting a little more angry and a little more self-defensive and Didn't help but think that as Job spoke more and more that he uh, started to believe that somehow God uh, could have done things uh, better. And we've heard from Job that he has been longing for an opportunity to speak uh, with God. Remember? Oh, if I could just have a hearing before God. There's got to be a better way 
seem to have been Job's attitude in the latter chapters. And uh, we can do it better. Um, perhaps you've heard uh, someone say something like this. You know, well, if I were God, <laughs> right? if I were God, I would, or if I were God, I wouldn't, you know, maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said it. Well, Job has kind of been in that trajectory. So we've heard from Elihu, but um, the question is, of course, how are we to be persuaded? How's Job to be persuaded uh, that he and we can rest by faith in the truth that God is God and there is no other and that his ways are always best, whether in times of joy or times of suffering, anytime, every time, all the time. How are we going to be persuaded about that? Well, Elihu has prepared the way. Uh, you'll remember the last several chapters. Job said, Elihu, God is greater than you think. Uh, you are not the one who holds God accountable to yourself. You are accountable to God. Job, uh, God is the just governor over the universe. He always does what is right. Job said, Elihu, God is good, and he is uh, pouring out his blessings upon us. Job uh, God is worthy to be praised. We saw that last time. His voice uh, roars like lightning and thunder, and he has a majestic voice, and God is clothed with awesome majesty, is what Elihu said to Job. So he spoke four times, you'll remember. And uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Job uh, have no answer for Elihu. We don't hear from them at all. Instead, now the Lord speaks. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now remember, Job has been speaking of longing for this moment when he could stand before God and when he could speak uh, to God. And now the Lord speaks, the Bible says, out of the whirlwind. Uh, the storm speaks out of the storm. You might remember we mentioned it this morning too in Exodus 19 when God's people are at the foot of uh, Mount Sinai. There is thunder and there is trumpet and there is a great storm and, uh, and God speaks um, he speaks in his sovereign power. You might remember, of course, that Elijah uh, was taken up into heaven in such a whirlwind. Zechariah prophesies that the Lord God will make or will march forth in the whirlwind of the south. Uh, such a way of speaking will humble Job, and it is meant to humble us. The Lord, the covenant God, our God, speaks. To Job. And that's how the passage starts, of course. Then the Lord answered Job. Now, this is the first time we've heard uh, Jehovah mentioned, Yahweh mentioned, since the first two chapters, uh, chapters 3 through 37. We don't hear that name of God used. But here, when the Lord comes to speak, uh, it's the Lord. That is the covenant God. Job has not been abandoned. Uh, Job has not been forgotten. The covenant God of Job and our God is speaking. Now, here's the thing. The first thing the Lord does uh, when he speaks is he convicts uh, and challenges Job. Two points tonight from this passage. First of all, the sin of Job 
And secondly, the glory of God. So the Lord comes and speaks, and he comes to challenge and convict Job of sin. Verse 2, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You might know that in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 19, we read these words. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. In other words, the Bible says the more, the more, the more we speak, <laughs> the more likelihood there is there's going to be sin in there. And uh, the more restraint we show on our words, uh, that is prudent. Now, Job, we know, has spoken a lot of words. We have read a lot of words, right, through the book of Job. We've read a lot of uh, counseling sessions and Job's response to his three uh, friends. Many of the words that Job has spoken have uh, expressed faith in God. Many of them have been uh, wonderful words, faith-filled words, uh, words that uh, have spoken. Remember, he had spoken about his need for a mediator, someone to speak for him. He's spoken about, I, I know that my Redeemer lives, uh, and in the end, I will see him uh, upon the earth. And though, like the psalmist, he struggled to understand the ways of God, the reason for, the purpose of his suffering, he has not cursed God, despite being in the depths of despair. So here we come to the end of the book, and uh, Job has proved Satan wrong. Remember, Satan said right at the beginning of Job to the Lord that if you take away all these blessings that you've given to him, uh, land and, and even his health, if you take these things away from him, he doesn't serve you for nothing. He's just serving you for what you can give him. And that's, of course, what Satan believes about you and about every Christian. That you're just serving God for what he gives you. And if, you were to, if God were to take these, all these blessings away from you, you would curse him if all you had was him. But Job hasn't. And he's proven Satan wrong, and he's proven God right. Because God said to, uh, the Lord said to, to Satan, no, Job fears me. He loves me. He's a blameless man, and he shuns uh, evil. And so he's proven God right. He belongs to God. He's numbered among the righteous, not the wicked. He's faithfully enduring suffering by faith. And so in the book of James, James will tell us, consider the endurance of Job. But though Job is not suffering because he sinned, and though he is showing great endurance in faith, Elihu has shown us in these last few chapters that Job, in his response to suffering, has not been in the right. Uh, it is not right, Elihu said to Job. It's not right to put God in the dock as if he were accountable to us rather than we being accountable to God. It's not right to think that God is indifferent to the righteous and the wicked. He is just, and the God of the universe cannot do wrong. It's not right to say, as Job was saying, that God doesn't hear and God doesn't care. He does not despise the works of his hands, the creatures of his hands. Everything we have comes from him, and he's good. Elihu said to Job, it's not right that in your grief and suffering, you lose sight of the glorious works and majesty of God. He's always worthy of our praise. Now, Elihu, you remember, anticipated this challenge of the Lord to Job. You remember back in chapter 34, verse 35, Elihu said this to Job, Job speaks without knowledge. His words are without insight. 
Chapter 35, verse 16, Elihu said this, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. And the Lord comes, and the first thing the Lord says to Job is, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? This is how Job has been speaking in response to his suffering to the Lord. Words without knowledge. You might get a better understanding of this if you think about, for instance, uh, words without knowledge would be uh, me, for instance, uh, speaking about cooking. That'd be words without knowledge. Might be my wife speaking about hockey. Um, Words without knowledge. It might be me uh, explaining gravity to an astrophysicist. Words without knowledge. The point is, Job has spoken, the Lord is saying, in ignorance. He does not know as God knows. Job does not know all things. His knowledge is limited, and such limited knowledge should have led to fewer words. God works all things, the Bible tells us, right, according to the counsel of his will. His counsel is his plan. His way of governing the world is is perfect. Job has darkened, the Lord says, Uh, called into question that counsel. And now Job will be called to account for his words. Now, uh, earlier in Job, uh, Job wanted this opportunity. You might recall, Job 13, 20, Job said this to the Lord, only grant me two things, then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me. Let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak, and you reply to me. And so earlier in his suffering, Job had said to the Lord, call, and I will answer you. Or if you don't call, let me call upon you, and, and you answer me. So Job has been actually asking for the Lord to come and speak to him. And so the Lord comes, and Job is being held accountable for his words. You know that the Lord Jesus tells us in Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account uh, for every careless word uh, they speak. And uh, so the Lord comes to Job, and he says, you've been speaking words without knowledge. And so he says to Job, dress for action like a man. In other words, that's an expression. It's the expression, gird up your loins. That is, tuck in your robe into your belt and get ready either to, uh, you would do that either if you were going running or if you're about to wrestle. And uh, most see this as a God saying, it's, it's, time to, um, it's time to listen. It's time to hear. It's time to respond. This is, this is serious Business. It's the same kind of language Peter uses in 1 Peter 1, 3, after he has talked about the fact that as Christians we know the gospel, we know the grace of God, we know the grace of the Lord, and then Peter says you need to gird up your loins. You need to dress for action. The Lord is calling you uh, to, to respond to him. This is serious business. And God says, I will ask the questions, and you must answer. Job must answer. We must answer. So here's the first thing. When the Lord speaks, uh, his answer to Job is to challenge and to convict Job of his sin. 
One writer writes this, Job knocked on heaven's door, hoping to gain a legal court hearing so that he could ask God some tough questions about human suffering. Why are things this way? Instead of appearing in court to accuse God of the unfairness of human suffering, God showed up as a tornado and interrogated Job with 77 rhetorical questions. Job could not answer any of these 77 questions. None of these questions contained anything about suffering. God never even addressed the reason for suffering. These questions will show Job's ignorance and God's greatness. This is what Job needed to learn. All men and women and children need to learn. He's the creator, we're his creatures. He's the good shepherd, we're his sheep. He's the potter, we're the clay. He's the glorious God. We are sinners in need of grace. So that's the first thing the Lord speaks. He convicts and challenges Job of his sin. And then, of course, the Lord speaks of his own glory. This is how it starts. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now here at the end of the book of Job, the Lord is going to speak twice at length, separated with a brief word uh, from Job. Now this first speech of the Lord can be divided really into two parts, which we'll do by looking just up to verse 38 tonight. Uh, The first part deals with uh, inanimate creation, that is the heavens and the earth. And the second part of this first speech of the Lord uh, will deal with uh, God's uh, care for the animal kingdom and his providential care for his his creatures. But this part of Job uh, and this part of the Lord's speech is really God's divine commentary on Psalm 19, verse 1. You know that verse. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And every one of the Lord's questions in this chapter is meant to expand the mind, uh, strengthen the soul, and humble the heart of Job. Now, this is interesting. Here, Job has, Job has gone through a lot of suffering. He's had three friends come, not to help, but they've really hindered, and they've kind of rubbed salt in the wound. He's had another friend, Elihu, come. Uh, to try to point him in the right direction and to remind him of who God is. And when the Lord himself comes uh, to speak, he comes to challenge uh, and convict uh, Job of sin. Uh, And then he uh, really overwhelms Job with question after question that Job can't answer, but points to the glory of God. So God's answer to Job, make no mistake, this is not about the Lord Uh, building up Job's self-esteem. Clearly, that's not the answer to someone who has um, uh, facing suffering, um, suffering that's inexplainable. Um, It's not to build up someone's self-esteem. The answer does not lie within Job or within us. The answer is not having greater thoughts of myself, but clearly having greater thoughts of God. Uh, Later, the Apostle John would say of Jesus, he he must increase and I must decrease. And so this is about God's glory. 
So the Lord's first question is this to Job. Where were you at the foundation of the earth? Um, <laughs> not born. Angels were there, the Lord says. They're pictured here as morning stars. And they sang for joy. You remember C.S. Lewis? You ever read C.S. Lewis, the magician's nephew? And uh, the description of how Aslan, the lion, picture of Christ, sings the world into existence. You need to read the magician's nephew again. And, uh, and it's as if the stars are singing and, and uh, things come to be. And there's a deep voice behind it all as, as creation comes to be a picture of the beginning of the world. I laid the foundation, the Lord says. I determined the measurements. I am the architect, the surveyor, and the builder. I did it, says the Lord. I am God, and there is no other. Verse 8, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb, verse 11, and said, thus far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Here the Lord describes the, uh, uh, the deep sea and the ocean crashing against cliffs and uh, coastlines. And the picture the Lord gives here is of the waters bursting forth from the womb. Right? Waters bursting forth in, in, uh, in, in childbirth. But the point is, the Lord says, I determine uh, their limits. The waters burst forth, but there's the coastline, there's the cliffs. Uh, I have set them there. I have determined their places. Likewise, with the forces of evil, the destructive powers of creation, Job, know that I command them, uh, I limit them, I say, thus far shall you come and no farther. Now, that should remind you of the, of the beginning of the book of Job, when the evil one who hates you, hates Christians, uh, hates Job, hates all believers, wants to destroy Job, and the Lord says to Satan, thus far and no farther. Only the Lord can do that. Even Satan himself, bound by the Lord. Have you, verse 12, commanded the morning, Job, since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? The Lord is the master and commander of the universe. That was a great film, by the way, with Russell Crowe, Master and Commander. That's a great title for the Lord. Sun rising, dawn breaking, light dispelling the darkness, and revealing and repelling the evil works done in the darkness. I do that, the Lord says. Verse 17, have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Probably here speaking about the depths in the seas. Declare... If you know all this, in the world of Job, Sheol was below the place of the dead, the unknown place, gates of death, deep darkness. Have you been in the deepest darkness? The Lord says to Job, do you know these things? Verse 19, where's the way to the dwelling of light? Where's the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home? You know for you were born then, and the number of your days is, is great. No, they're not, right? Job's response would be, remember uh, uh, reading, I think it, was, it wasn't too long ago, that they, oh no, it was at Christmas, that uh, they launched uh, into space uh, the James Webb Space Telescope. Did you hear about that? Um, apparently it's a hundred times more powerful uh, than the Hubble 
Uh, now, the Hubble is the, is the telescope that took the picture of the, uh, it's called the Pillars of Creation. It's the picture that is on your church family directory at the beginning that Daniel Nakama put there for us uh, of, of the heavens. And so at Christmas, they sent out the James Webb Telescope that apparently is a hundred uh, times as powerful. This is what they said about it. We're going right up to the edge of the observable universe with the Webb Telescope. Uh, an assistant uh, professor of astronomy said, University of Texas at Austin, yeah, we're excited to see what's there. Hubble was about the size of a school bus. Webb is more like the size of a tennis court. This thing is enormous, said one. Webb is by far the biggest telescope NASA's ever attempted to send into space. Uh, has a, a massive, massive mirrors much bigger than the, uh, the Hubble. We all want to find another Earth, don't we, said one scientist. The prospect of answering the question, are we alone? has been something that we've been asking ourselves for centuries. And I think with James Webb, this will provide us the first opportunity to really answer that question. Upping the stakes is the fact that while Hubble was launched around 340 miles above the Earth, Webb will be almost a million miles away, four times the distance from the Earth to the moon. This will be taking pictures. One scientist said this, it's wild when you think about it, that we're able to piece together the history of what happened before the earth or the sun even existed. And so man puts up a telescope to try to go further and further to find out what we will never know apart from God. Someone said there's none so blind as those who will not see in the beginning God, the Bible says. Do you know these things? The Lord says to Job. The Lord is saying really here in verse 21, Job, if you know the home of light and darkness, you must have existed at the creation of the world. Second half of this passage, friends, the Lord simply calls upon Job to look up, to look out. Verse 22, there's storehouses, the Lord says. There's storehouses of snow and storehouses of hail controlled by the Lord. Snow and hail and lightning and wind. Often this passage indicates released in judgment during time of battle or war, determining the destinies of nations. The Lord does that. Whether it's the Germans uh, getting bogged down by snow in Russia, or the British uh, not seeing Washington's escape from Brooklyn in the fog. The point is the Lord is sovereign. He determines when and where and how and why? And, and the Bible says he also sends life-giving rains, so grass springs up in the desert. Uh, you know, think of, think of massive uh, thunderstorms uh, in the desert. I remember when we were in New Zealand, we had uh, friends there who had moved to New Zealand from, uh, from South Africa. And they've told you this before, and, and I was often curious, well, what do you miss most about South Africa? And I had more than, more than once uh, folks from South Africa who moved to New Zealand would say what they miss most is those massive thunderstorms in South Africa. Powerful. The Lord sends the rains. Rain, dew, frost, ice, all brought forth by God. No man, Pleiades, Orion, Maseroth, the bear, probably all, uh, commenters think, probably all different constellations of stars. Movements of heavenly bodies, all ordained and fulfilling their purpose according to God's ordinance and decree. 
And so God asked Job, verse 35, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Verse 37, who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? The Lord says to Job, can you command the clouds? Does lightning report to you that here we are, ready at your bidding? Are you able, Job, to make men wise? Well, what's the answer? The answer is, of course, no. All I can do is to be humbled, Job would have said, and, and worship the Lord. No is the answer. No is the answer. No is the answer. No, I can't do any of these things. So why is God overwhelming Job with all these questions to which the answer must be, no, I can't. Only you can. Why is the Lord uh, doing that? Well, the only answer would be that he means to humble Job and to leave Job simply in, in adoration before the glory of God. Mentioned uh, Jonathan Edwards this morning. Can't do better than to go back to Jonathan Edwards, who wrote of his meditating on God's sovereignty, his works of creation and providence. And this is what he, what he wrote. God's sovereignty appeared an exceeding pleasant and bright and sweet doctrine to me. There seemed to be, as it were, a calm, sweet cast or appearance of divine glory in almost everything, in the sun, moon, and stars, in the clouds, and blue sky, in the grass, flowers, trees, and the water, and all nature, which used greatly to fix my mind. I often used to sit and view the moon for a long time, and so in the daytime spent much time in viewing the clouds, the first appearance of a thunderstorm, and used to take, said Edwards, the opportunity at such times to fix myself to view the clouds and see the lightnings play and hear the majestic and awful voice of God's thunder leading me to sweet contemplations of my great and glorious God. Now, of course, the question for Job and us in all this is this. Despite his loss and sorrow, can he join with the angels in song? Can he uh, see the wonder and glory of the God who holds all creation in his hands? Can he trust and believe that the same God who created the heavens and the earth sustains them by his hand and carries out his works of providence in complete and absolute knowledge and wisdom? Can he believe and trust that that same God, sovereign, almighty, is his Lord. And he can trust him. And that even the wickedness of men and the suffering of men serves his glory. Or as Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount, your heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air. Are you not of more value than they? He clothes the grass of the field... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little 
faith. He controls all these things because he's sovereign. And how much more does he not care for you? Because you are of much more value than they. You're created in his, his image. He's created you to love him and to know him and to, and to serve him. He is the, the glorious God. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. And friends, uh, the wonder that the most evil deed and the worst suffering has not happened to Job or you or I, but that it happened to Jesus for God's glory and our salvation. You trust such a God? Right? In a time of suffering in the dark. Oh, Job wanted the Lord to speak. And so the Lord came and has come. And he challenges and he convicts Job. He says, Job, you have been speaking with words with, without knowledge. I'm going to speak to you. And, and you need to answer me. And the Lord overwhelms Job with a revelation of his glory that we will see will eventually simply leave Job speechless and humbled before the glorious God. Let me just close with this. David Wells, who I mentioned at the beginning, ends his book this way. He says, today we need a fresh vision of God and his character. Our understanding of his greatness. Don't you find this? Our understanding of his greatness gets worn down, sometimes worn out, by the constant rubbing against our highly modernized life. It's this vision, though, this knowing of God that puts steel into spines and fire into Christian hearts. When we are God-centered in our thoughts, God-fearing in our hearts, when we see with clarity what his character is like, he begins to have weight in our lives. When that happens, we become, said Wells, not just occasional visitors to the eternal, but its permanent residents, its citizens. And that is when the church becomes more than just another organization, but in fact, the outpost of eternity in this wounded world. May the church indeed be all that it is in Christ, so that through its life, the glory of God will be seen anew in all its Splendor. Is it possible that in our Christian life we've been speaking too many words and not more carefully listening and seeing the glory of God all around us, which should assure us and remind us that if God is sovereign over all things, he's also sovereign over my life, and he is the faithful Lord. He has sent his Son Job has suffered indeed, but the Father sends his Son to suffer in my place. He is the glorious God. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your words to us. These words spoken to Job. We don't know, Lord, how these words first came to the ears and mind and heart of your servant Job. But, O oh Lord, as we have walked with him through his, through his suffering and through his encounter with those counselors that wanted to help and 
and through the words of Elihu. And as we've come now to this place where what Job has wanted has now happened, you have come and, and you have spoken, but Lord, you've not spoken what he expected you to say. And so, Lord, as we stand with Job, uh, overwhelmed by the, the wonder of your glory, oh, Lord, we pray that that sense of your greatness and your glory would not be worn down in our own heart and in our own life, that we would ponder these things in the heavens and on the earth, Lord, that we too, as Job will be, will humble themselves, humble ourselves before you, the living God. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that in your majesty, as we read of it here, the Lord Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant. This God, taking the form of a servant, coming to suffer, much worse than Job could ever have dreamed or imagined, suffering the wrath of the Father against the sins of of his people and suffered in our place. Oh Lord, help us then to see you anew tonight, trust you, love you, adore you, and be humbled before you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.